If you are in Sunshine Club, that's kindergarten through fourth grade, uh, then you are welcome to go out and to the left where our children's ministries are. We have a children's, ministry, ch- children's ministries for, for nursery through fourth grade. So thankful uh, for all of our children's teachers that are teaching God's word to our kids today and every single Sunday. That's such a blessing for me as a parent, and uh, hopefully it's a blessing to you as well. Are you excited to open God's word today, church? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Colossians chapter 3. Would love for you to turn there in your Bibles, your copy of God's Word, whether that's on a physical Bible, the app on your phone. You can grab uh, the Bible that's in that rack right in front of you and turn to page 984 if you would like to use one of ours. Uh, That is where you will find Colossians chapter 3. And as you are doing so, If you are a guest with us, maybe you're checking this out online, we start every message by just telling you from the beginning uh, that we believe the Bible is the inspired word of God, inerrant in the original manuscript, sovereignly preserved for us through the generations so that through the reading of this book and the illumination of God's spirit, we can know him and we can love him, and we can follow him, and we can represent him. And we believe so much in the sufficiency of Scripture that we don't think that what I have to say today matters at all unless it agrees with what God has said in his word. So we want to collectively be a church that believes it doesn't matter what I think. What matters is what the Bible says. And at some point, I'm just going to have you guys start to fill that in for me, okay? Because I think you, got, I think you can do it. I think we got it. Uh, what matters is what the Bible says, which is why we want you to see God's word from yourself today. And we're going to do that from Colossians 3, verses 5 through 11. Uh, we have been going through Paul's letter to the church at Colossae with this purpose in mind, that we would see the supremacy and the centrality of Christ in everything. And we've been trying to align the songs that we sing and everything to just sort of amplify this reality that Jesus is supreme and he must be central in everything, including our own lives. Because unless and until Jesus is at the center, nothing else makes sense. It really doesn't. Until he is who we value the most, we don't value other things correctly. Uh, Every inch of this universe belongs to Christ, for through him and for him it was made. So, So we need to be so filled with Jesus that there's not room for anything else, because in our brokenness, the Bible doesn't point us to a system, and it doesn't point us to a program. It points us to a person. He's the answer. He's the solution. His name is Jesus. And when you really find him, you don't have to search anywhere else. You don't have to keep looking. You don't have to keep wondering, right? He, he is the treasure that contains all the treasure. And, and, and this is what will keep us safe from false teaching that tries to imply that Jesus is insufficient and that we need to add other stuff to him, right? Or, or we need to find our identity in other places. No, if it's not of or from or found in Christ, then I don't need it and I don't want it. I don't want it. And, and so if you are in Christ, I have good news for you. That means that your identity has been completely transformed. And, and if you don't know Jesus yet, this is uh, just cards on the table. This is what I want for all of you. I want you to be found in Christ. I want you to have a new identity. And, and, this, and this is going to be incredibly important to our passage today. 
We are no longer captives to our sin-sick nature that's encapsulated by our breaking down bodies. We are no longer spiritually dead, separated from God. No, in Christ, we are made alive, and we are forgiven, and we are victorious. And we saw last week that this new identity, that, that we've been raised with Christ, leads to a new mentality, right? We set our minds where? On things above, not on things that are on the earth because we set our minds on Christ who is seated at the right hand of God. That is where our lives are hidden with Christ in God. There, there's a greater reality than what we experience in the here and now and in this temporary world. And it is Jesus who reigns on an eternal throne. We want him to be the greatest reality in our lives. And, and I promised that this chapter as it goes on, chapter 3, it will be evident that a heavenly mentality is tremendously practical because how we think determines how we live. Biblically speaking, there is no such thing as being so heavenly minded that you are no earthly good because being heavenly minded is what enables us to do earthly good from a biblical perspective. So if you are a follower of Jesus, if you are forgiven and alive and victorious in Christ, if your life is hidden with Christ in God, then the life you now live by faith in the Son of God should be characterized as out with the old and in with the new. Out with the old, in with the new. And our passage this morning focuses on the first part of that equation. So, so here we go, Colossians 3, 5 through 11. It, if you are someone who, who's new to our church, or maybe you aren't used to uh, the word sin being used frequently in conversation, just a warning, you might be used to it by the end of this 30 minutes. It's going to come up quite a bit, but it's going to be great. Here we go, Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry, not a list that any of us want to associate ourselves with. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off, put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave-free, Eagles fans and Giants fans, whatever you want to add to the list, but Christ is all and in all. Amen? Amen. My, my goal this morning is, is to motivate us to be killing sin in our lives. Uh, sin is anything that we think, say, or do that is not in submission to Jesus' authority. Anything you think, say, do that is not in submission to the authority of Jesus. Because anything that doesn't proceed from faith in Jesus is sin. And so we don't just want to be content with trying to suppress our sin or, or to manage it in some way and, and keep it from obviously infecting too many things in our lives. No, as dramatic as it sounds, 
the Bible tells us to put what is earthly in us, that's verse 5, put what is earthly in us, put sin to death. Because there are two options when it comes to sin. Either we kill sin or sin kills us. Either we kill sin or sin kills us. Paul is calling us to stop fueling, to stop giving life to what kills you. Sin brings death because it separates us from God who is where life is found. So anything that is earthly, that is sinful in us, Paul says, cut it out. Now, as we begin, I just want to make sure we know that we could never do this in and of ourselves. Because in and of ourselves, we were, we were, past tense, slaves to sin. Right? But Paul is building on what he has already said in Colossians. So, so if you just jump in Colossians 3, 5 through 11, and, and you miss the rest, you might be, what in the world is going on here? Right? Like, and just think that you have to overcome these things. No, no, no. No, because Paul has already, he's already said, therefore, verse 5, Therefore, put to death. So what's the therefore, therefore? It's pointing back to the beginning of chapter 3. We've been raised with Christ. We have died to our old way of living. We have died to being held captive to, to living for what is temporary. And our lives are where? They're hidden with Christ in God. Jesus is not someone that we add to our lives. Jesus is our life. Verse 4. So to become a Christian is to see Jesus as so glorious right? And so much better than anything else that we say, I want to die to my old way of life so I can have a new life in Christ. That's what it means to become a Christian. And so sin, which would have defeated us, has already been defeated by Christ at the cross. And in placing our faith in that finished work of Christ on the cross, our sinful flesh has been dealt a mortal blow. It will not win if you are a follower of Jesus. And then we are commanded to put it to death. Because as one of my favorite songs right now says, I'm fighting a battle that Jesus has already won. Your battle against sin is a battle. You're called to fight it. Put it to death. You're called to fight a battle that Jesus has already won. That's such good news. Another way to say it is Christianity it's about becoming who and what we already wa- who and what we already are in Christ. So we are dead to sin and we need to kill sin. We are righteous in God's sight because of the righteousness of Jesus and we need to live righteously as reflections of him. Our identity in Christ is what enables us to live like Christ. Did I lose you? Are we good with that? Make sense? Okay. So the problem is this. If we're being honest, A lot of us are way too comfortable with letting sin linger in our lives. And maybe we even do things to feed it and to energize it. Or or like we talked about in chapter 2, we wear our guilt like an anchor around our neck and it keeps us from running to Jesus. Or, Or we're just complacent and we're lazy. Right? And we think that we'll make things right later in life. I was talking to someone about Jesus, and this was pretty much his plan. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make things right later, not now, right? So maybe I'll, when I get married, I'll get serious. Or, or when I have kids, or when the kids get older, or when we retire, or at least sometime before we die, right? That, the, just not now. Whatever is just not now. I have too much to do. I have too much on my mind. I have too much fun that I want to have, whatever your mentality is. And, and I want to say, how about today? Church, how about, how about today? 
And, and, and so uh, I know this is a unique goal for this morning and a unique way of outlining this passage, but today I want us to see five motivations for amputation, right? Because amputation is not something that we're usually motivated to do, <laughs> right? That's not something that we, that we really pursue very often, so I want to motivate us for this. I, I, why should we be motivated to progressively root more and more sin out of our lives? That's, that's what we're talking about from Colossians 3, 5 through 11. Go back to the beginning, Colossians 3, 5 through 6. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. So here's our first motivation for amputation. Why should we be motivated to root sin out of our lives? Because of the coming wrath of God. This passage is full of realities that people just love talking about, <laughs> right? And this is, this, is, this is one of them. I say that in jest. Verse 5 has the, list, uh, the first of two lists of vices in this section. And I don't think you should view these lists as exhaustive, uh, by the way. Uh, so if your vice, if your sin issue isn't represented in these lists, you are not off the hook this morning, okay? These are just examples. Don't play that game with me. You're, these are just examples, right? And, and this first list focused on sexual sin. Sexual immorality, that first one, is any sexual behavior outside of what God designed within the covenant of marriage between a husband and a wife. And Paul could have stopped there, but he keeps going. Impurity and lustful passion, viewing and using what is around you to fuel your selfish desires. And, and, and in a culture that is, let's be forthright, we are in a culture that is highly sexualized. Highly, highly sexualized. And pornographic content is everywhere. And if we're honest, man, it is so easy to become desensitized to that reality. Right? And just to become complacent and just think this is just the way life is and this is the way my life is. Right? And, and Paul adds covetousness. Uh, I want that and I want that too and I won't be happy without that and God, why won't you have that? And all of these advices are examples of idolatry because an idol is anything that we love more than God. An idol is whatever you allow to take the throne of your heart instead of Jesus. And God does not take kindly to being replaced because he didn't design us to be separate from him, which is what sin does. He didn't design us to replace him, which is what idolatry does. He designed us for relationship with him and to depend on him, which is what Jesus came to restore. So we don't shy away from the reality that our holy God is not indifferent towards our sin. Right? One look at the cross is all it should take to correct that false assumption. If you think God is indifferent or he doesn't really care about your sin, look at what Jesus had to do, had to endure on the cross for us. God is rightly wrathful towards sin because it denies the reality that God is on the throne. It denies the reality that God knows better than us. It denies the reality that we are made in his image to be reflections of him and what he is like. We should be motivated to amputate sin out of our lives because it provokes the wrath of God. And God is the just judge who one day will bring the darkness to light and make the wrong things right. He will not be indifferent or complacent towards man's sin. So neither should we. Neither should we. And I would suggest 
that we have become far too comfortable with what is viewed as normal. Right? It's just normal. It's just a part of life. Because what is normal on this earth provokes the wrath of God. And when we hate the sin that reveals itself in our lives, we are agreeing with God about the seriousness of our sin. But when we dismiss or ignore or justify or even cover up our sin, we are disagreeing with God, which is itself a sin. It's denying his authority. But this threat of God's wrath towards sin is sadly where a lot of people's reasons for believing in Jesus stop, right? Maybe you grew up in a church culture that was very hellfire and brimstone, right? Maybe even in your Sunday school class, you had a well-meaning Sunday school teacher that gave an invitation like, if you don't want to go to hell, raise your hand, you know? And you're six years old and you're like, I'm me, not me. Oh no, right? And you're just freaked out and you have nightmares for a week. Uh, and so if, if that's your only, and the flannel graphs were terrifying, and if that's your only motivation, sorry, I was reliving the 90s for a second. If that is your only motivation, uh, then it could be twisted into like just some behavior modification and, and moralistic deism, right? I don't want to make God mad, so I better be good and not bad, right? No, no, no. That's not what we're talking about. This is about agreeing with God about the seriousness of what is still earthly in us. If Jesus had to die for it, why would I keep living in it? Jesus had to die for it, why would I perpetuate it? Why would I fuel it? Why would I feed it in my own life? And there's so much more to this equation than just the coming wrath of God. This is the first of five motivations. So look at verse 7. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So our second motivation for amputation is our new identity in Christ. If Paul's audience... Uh, heard that first list of vices and they wanted to distance themselves from it, Paul didn't let them off the hook completely in verse 7, right? He says, that list was describing you. Thanks for the encouragement, Paul. But notice verse 7 is in the past tense. You too once walked when you were living in them. Same thing in verse 9. You have put off the old self with its practices, past tense. So he's saying to this church, our lives without Christ were previously defined by our sin. Maybe some that are listed here, maybe you have your own list that you can come up with. That is what used to define us and our broken relationship with God. Sin always leads to death because it separates us from the source of life, God himself. But the reason this sinful identity can be in the past tense for the Colossian church and the reason the sinful identity can be in the past tense for us is not because we overcame it, right? It's not because we worked our way out of this condition and worked our way out of this identity. No, it's because we have a God who loved us enough to send Jesus on a rescue mission from heaven, entering into our brokenness on this earth. It's because Jesus lived the perfect life that you and I failed to live, and then Jesus died the death that you and I deserve to die. Jesus experienced the just wrath of God for our immorality and impurity and covetousness and idolatry 
adultery and anger and slander and lying. He took the punishment we deserved on the cross. But rather than being defeated by sin and death, he conquered it. He rose from the dead, ascended into heaven, seated at the right hand of God. So if you come to the end of yourself today and say, Jesus, I need you, placing your faith in the perfect life, sacrificial death, and victorious resurrection of Christ and Christ alone, all of your sins are forgiven. The righteousness of Jesus credited to your formerly guilty account, you become part of the eternal family of God. And if you are a follower of Jesus, here is another beautiful aspect of the gospel we are called to daily embrace. Your ultimate identity is not found in your sinful self. That's the old you. Your ultimate identity is found in Christ and Christ alone. Amen? It's in Christ and Christ alone. The gospel is not dependent on our merit or our failure. And that is the most freeing reality when you choose to embrace it. All is grace. We have a new identity that has nothing to do with what we have earned, but it has everything to do with how we now live. Nothing to do with what we've earned, but that new identity has everything to do with how we now live. Why should we be motivated to cut sins out of our lives? Because that's not who we are anymore. That's not who we are anymore, praise God. We put to death what is earthly in us because our ultimate citizenship isn't found in this earth. It is in heaven with Christ. And I would observe that we are more or less comfortable with our sin because we're just so used to it. Right? We're just so used to what is earthly, and we're around it all the time. It's just, it's just part of our lives, right? We're just so used to it. It's always been there, right? And so we try to manage it because we don't really believe that we can defeat it. And if that's you today, friend, I want you so desperately to make Jesus the greatest reality in your life. Oh, man, it is time for your identity to be found in him and not your old self. And if you really want that to be true of you, if you want to be motivated to get rid of sin in your life because you have fully embraced Jesus as the greatest reality and the identity that you have in him, and you're wondering, how do I do that? How, how do I do that? I, I think verse 10 helps us here. It says, and you have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Our, our, our third motivation to amputate sin out of our lives is a renewed, a renewed mind. Uh, this ties perfectly to what we focused on last week in the beginning of chapter 3. We are setting our minds on things above because when we focus on earthly things, we shouldn't be surprised when we live in earthly ways. You see this pattern throughout all of Scripture and how to overcome sin and do the will of God, uh, especially in Paul's writings. Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to the patterns of this world. Right? Don't live like people who don't have an identity in Christ, but be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. That's when you will be able to discern the will of God for your life. How you think determines how you live. So whatever is true and honorable and just and pure and lovely and commendable and excellent and praiseworthy, think about these things, Philippians 4.8, because how you think determines how you live. So friends, 
If the first thing we fill our minds with when we wake up is earthly things on social media instead of the truth of God's word, we're not going to be prepared for the spiritual battle that we face every day. If we don't have a desire to know Jesus and to know him more, then we are going to live defeated by what Jesus has already defeated. God, I want to see you today. I want to focus on you today and worship you today. I want to fill my mind with true things. I want to be renewed in the knowledge after, in knowledge after the image of our creator. Is that, is that your mind? Is that your heart as you wake up each day? This is a good reminder for us as parents that we are not just responsible for shepherding our children's actions. We are responsible to guide their hearts and their minds because how they think will determine how they live. And our kids are going to hear all sorts of lies from others, right? Just lies all around them. They better be hearing the truth of God's word from us. And they better be seeing the truth of God's word lived out by us which means that our minds need to be renewed every day if we're going to have anything of truth to give to our children. And this is where I think we also should acknowledge that the way we are called to live and the way we view life often makes no sense to someone who doesn't know Jesus. Right? This, because we have a different mind now, right? And we see things differently. We think about things differently. And, and if your friends that don't know Jesus, they don't understand the choices that you make, I hope. Right? I hope that you don't fit in with them because you have a different mind. You have a different identity than they do, right? So let's just put our cards on the table and just admit it, right? The way we are called to, to live isn't normal. It's not normal. We've put off the old self, right? And, and I think. We have this inclination to try to fit in at times and try to be like, oh, I'm not that much different than you. Uh, no, let's just be weird, right? <laughs> Can we agree to that? Like, let's, let's, just, let's, just be, let's just be weird. Uh, because if taking sin seriously and focusing our attention on Jesus and his word is weird, by, by God's grace, let's be guilty as charged, church. Right? I don't want to be normal. I don't want to be normal when I see God's wrath towards sin. Uh, so this might be strange out in the world, But within this preview of the coming kingdom, this should be the norm. And and this community that we are called to enjoy is actually another motivation for taking sin seriously. Verse 11. Here, there is not Jew and Greek, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. So another motivation for amputation is this unified community that we are called to be. Because church is not an event that you attend. It's a community that you engage in. And our sin doesn't just impact us. It impacts those around us. Our sin doesn't just separate us from God. It also creates division and pain between people. Humanity's relationship with God is not the only one that is broken. We have a broken relationship with ourselves, right? We see this all around us, and you've experienced this. I'm sure for many of you, this hits way too close to home, right? Genesis 3, Adam and Eve sin, creating separation between God and man. Genesis 4, what happens? Cain kills his brother, Abel. The brokenness 
of humanity in relationship to each other can be seen all throughout the pages of Scripture and all throughout the pages of every history book that has ever been written. And at its root, right, this is why every war has ever been fought, and this is why every crime has ever been committed. This is why, as much as people like to talk about peace and, and bringing people together, and every president talks about bringing two sides of the aisle together, and whenever we hear that, we say, sure, right? Yeah, okay, right? Every president says that we're going to bring both sides of the aisle. I'm going to work across the aisle, and everyone's like, yeah, okay, sure you will. We don't believe them at all. Why? Why, why, why does no one believe that just two political parties that are both Americans can work together? Because identity politics doesn't allow for that. You are either in our tribe, or you are the enemy. So whether it's politically or ethnically or economically, everyone gets in their tribes, right? And even individual tribes can't get along for very long. And as long as your identity is found in something earthly, true unity is impossible. But Jesus came to give us a new identity so we could be who we were created to be as renewed images of himself. And out in this world... Right? People are going to put you into all sorts of categories based on your age and your skin color and your heritage and your education and your occupation. and You name it, there's a category for it, right? and you have to figure out where you fit within it in society. And those are the people that you hang out, and those are the people that you agree with, and that's the cable news that you listen to. Right? We have all these different categories. But here, but here, there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, slave or free, or whatever categories you want to come up with. Why? Because Christ is all. Christ is all. And, and when our minds are not seeking things that are above, when, when we are not taking serious and, and addressing what is earthly within us, when Christ is not all, you know one place that that will always be evidenced? and our lack of unity with each other. And obviously, Paul is focused on the local church here, but this is why marriages are not unified. This is why families are not unified, because sin separates. And finding your identity in Christ is not just an individual pursuit. It is a community pursuit. It, it's it's not, not taking seriously the command to root sin out of our lives doesn't just impact us. It impacts those around us. Even as Paul lists vices, right? He, 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 in this passage, he has community in view. If you might have noticed that in verse 9. Do not lie to one another. Right? To, to one another. And, and so it's probably safe to say that most of you have been hurt and your ability to enjoy a unified community has been hurt because people don't take sin as seriously as they should. Right? And then you have borne the brunt of that. Right? This is not abstract. This is real life. And, and, and I need to emphasize that this is different than putting on a new outward appearance. Because I think that's the temptation uh, within the walls that we call, that we call church. Uh, we, we try to take a shortcut by putting on the plastic smile on Sundays and looking like a good Christian could look. And, and maybe you know that game and you've been in the game for a long time and you know how to, how to live it, how to act it out. But that's not where unity is found. We aren't putting on a new outward appearance. We have put on a whole new self. 
Paul says. We are a new creation. We are being transformed from the inside out. And that's a process. So I'm not promising that if you become a follower of Jesus and you become part of this church community, uh, then, then no one will ever wrong you. In fact, I can promise you the opposite, which is why one of the one another's in Scripture is that we have to forgive one another as Christ forgave us. We will sin against each other, but we take it seriously. And we don't ignore it. And we don't just try to manage it or suppress it or get complacent about it. We are motivated for amputation because it matters to God, because of our new identity, because of our renewed mind, because we are called to a unified community, and because we want Christ to be all and in all. Verse 11 again. Here, there is not Jew and Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and in all. We are motivated to amputate sin out of our lives because when people see us, we want them to see Christ and Christ alone. Because the ultimate destination of finding your identity in Christ, putting on the new self, the ultimate destination of that is Christ is all that is left. So if you're thinking about following Jesus and like, where am I headed? You're headed to where there is much less of you and Christ is all. Right? Christ is all that is left. He must decrease. I must decrease. What you are saying when you choose to follow Jesus is, I want Christ to be all. I've seen what it looks like when I'm in charge. Right? I know the mess I make when I try to be in control. I don't want it to be me, but Christ living in me. So if you hear me articulate that last paragraph and you say, yes, yes, that, that is the desire of my heart. Uh, some of you might be thinking, Tim, you're crazy today. I'm not sure what got into you, right? Uh, that's, that's fine. I already admitted I gave up normal a long time ago, right? I'm over it. Okay, I'm weird. That's fine, right? But if you are saying, yes, I want Christ to be all in my life, if that's you and you've never placed your faith in Jesus, that's the place to start. We would love for you to make Jesus the forgiver and king of your life today. He wants to give you a whole new identity. We'd love for you to stay afterwards and talk to us about it. I want nothing more than for you to find your identity in Christ. And if you are a follower of Jesus, and you are saying, yes, I want Christ to be all in my life. There is way too much of me going on right now. Then will you take some time today to think through, what are the areas of my life I haven't surrendered to Jesus. What are the parts of the old self that still have way too much influence on my life? What, what are the temptations that I've been too complacent and too lazy to address? This is, this is how I've started almost every morning the last five months. Holy Spirit, what unconfessed sin do I need to confess and make right before doing anything else today? Every single morning. Is there anything that needs to be amputated out of my life? Uh, and, and I don't rely on myself for that, right? I don't get out a checklist and say, I got this. I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do this, and I'm going to do this, and I'm not going to do this. No, no, no. No, Holy Spirit, I need you to control more and more of my life. God, I want to become who you say that I am. I want Jesus to be all that is left. So let's be a community that's motivated to do that together. 
Not because we're anything special, we're holier than thou, look how great we are, no, no, no. But because we believe Jesus is enough. He is so much better. His grace is sufficient. He has already won the ultimate victory for us. Sin no longer has dominion over us. We are not enslaved. We are free. And so if you believe that, if you believe the truth of the gospel, then don't live defeated by what has been defeated. Don't live defeated by what Jesus has already defeated for you at the cross. I hope that you are motivated through the power of the Holy Spirit to fight the battle that Jesus has already won. It's a winning battle, church. It's a winning battle. Don't be defeated by what has been defeated. And if today's passage uh, was titled, Out with the Old, I'll give you one guess, the title for next week. (laughs) Because Christianity is not just about what we put off, it's about what we put on. It's not just about what we don't do. It's about what we do because of who we are in Christ. So that's next week, and I want you to come back. Until then, let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, and thank you for the truth it reveals about Jesus, that he is enough, that his grace is sufficient, that his sacrifice is enough, that he has won the battle for us. Sin has lost its power. Death has lost its sting. So I pray that we wouldn't be defeated by what you have, be- by what you have defeated. I pray that we would take sin as seriously as you do. I pray that we would be motivated through the power of your Holy Spirit for there to be more of Jesus and less of what is earthly in us. Oh, would you change us for the, from the inside out? Would you renew our minds daily? May we be filled with the truth of your word so we can experience the victory that you have already won for us. I pray that our identity would be found in Christ, in Christ alone, and that you would have in all things the first place. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.